0: There's a couple high attendance Sundays during the year for uh, for churches, and one of them is Christmas, and the other is Easter. Easter, or you are a sharp group today. You know, as you think about the first one, Christmas, often during that season, people ask the question, are you ready for No, 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 the, the first one. Are you ready for Christmas, right? But often we don't ask that question, are you ready for Easter? And usually because there's so many things we're trying to buy or put up, or uh, whatever it might be. And so we, we don't really think about that much preparation for getting ready for really the greatest event in all of history, and that is the Resurrection Sunday. Uh, but really what we want to do this, this morning, as well as throughout the week, is, is really think about the idea of getting ready, or to put it another way, being prepared. In fact, this whole message is going to be given to you by the letter P, uh, because we're, we're talking about Palm Sunday, and the idea here is preparation for Passion Week. And so we really want to be ready for what God has uh, for that day in which we celebrate the victory that was won. And, and most things in life that you have to get ready for, there's some effort you need to do to make sure you, you are ready for what's coming next. And so we hopefully will be able to do that this morning. Uh, it, it really is all about recognizing that this, this is a passion for God. This event in which Jesus came, and uh, you've all been memorizing the verse for the month, uh, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And even though in many ways we celebrate Christmas and a lot more glamour and lights and uh, activity, this is the event. And and this is really why he came. The one who was born came to die. And and not die in the natural way, but to give his life away for us. And, And if in fact, if, if we don't really reflect upon the cross at all, we're not really ready for the one who died on the cross and then rose again. So hopefully this particular time together on this Sunday and also as we think about preparing our hearts through prayer and if you can't make it on Wednesday, you can still, you can still what? Some of you are still like like Dan who came in and said, I'm really tired and I'm <laughs> I can barely keep my eyes open, and I said, I have a lot of grace and mercy for you. Get, get awake, all right. So uh, if you can't come on Wednesday for our prayer meeting, you can still still, still pray. And, and also, you think about inviting people. You know, I had an opportunity to in invite people already for Easter, and there are common responses to that sometimes. Well, I, I can't come on Easter because I'm going to be out of all right, now you're helping me out a little bit. I'm going to be out of town. If they say that to you and you really care about it, that, well, that's, that's all right. You can care, come the, the Sunday after. You can say it a little bit better than that. You can come the Sunday after. So we can be inviting people every Sunday because every Sunday is an inviting Sunday because we want people to hear about Jesus. And, and really the, the big draw is not me. The big draw is you because they come here and they get to see loving people. People really care about others and you can be friendly to them and, and really show the love of Christ by just being concerned about those who are here. But as we think about what God wants us to be, he wants us to all be members of God's family. He wants us to be ministers in God's church and he wants, wants us all to be missionaries in God's community. And it really all begins by praying, praying for people, and then as God gives you opportunity, then you uh, maybe share uh, a word about your faith or, or make an imitation. And, and really it's open every day to be able to do that as we think about just being representative of God's family. But this morning, what we want to do, we want to prepare our hearts by the way that happened in that first century, where, where at the appointed time... Jesus showed up in a triumphant way, and sometimes this particular Sunday is called the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And so, as we prepare our hearts to do that one more time, let's uh, uh, let's pray together again. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks in our lives, and I I really pray as we do think about preparation, Uh, preparation not only to receive your word today, but also preparation to participate in this table that's in front of me, in front of everyone else, the communion table, that we might recognize this is all, all a call for us to remember what has been done and what's promised to be done. And it's so easy to, to just run through life, but Father, I pray in the, in the spirit of what you want us to be all about that we really reflect on what's really important, and we praise in Jesus' name, amen. This is kind of a high Sunday in many ways, particularly in in more ritualistic churches. It's it's Palm Sunday, and we're going to do some special things to close the service as well. But as we think about that, Palm Sunday is is the day in which we celebrate Jesus coming and coming down in Jerusalem and and really living his last week and and preaching one more time to draw people unto himself. And, And as we think about this morning, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 21, and, and we're getting, for many of you, this is a familiar event in the life of Jesus. But as you think about it, Jesus has been here now in the first century about 33 years. The first 30 years, most of what he had been doing was in obscurity. It was all done privately. There wasn't a whole lot going on in his life in terms of, of God portraying the message. And even when he, he went from going private to public often he would, he would slow down people in terms of responding to him. And, and because he was, he was focusing on what was going to happen this week and what was going to happen on that particular Friday, in which we call Good Friday, not because it was good for Jesus, because it was good for us. You can still help me out in case I'm not preaching well. It was, wasn't necessarily good for Jesus, but it was good for us because Jesus died for us. And, and so as we think about that this morning, it all started off with what we call Palm Sunday in which we'll, we'll read about it this morning where people came in and, and not only was Jesus coming in on the, on the, on the back of a colt, uh, the, the foal of a donkey, is that the people were throwing down their garments and they were also waving what? Palm trees. Palm trees. Now, I, I want to share something with you because when you come to church, it's always nice if you, if you learn something, right? Right? Well, I learned something this week I, I never read. I probably had read it before, but it didn't register. But, but if you think about that, which is wave, and we always call them palm branches, but one source I read said they might not have been a palm tree in which they got the, the, the branches. It could have been a willow tree. So, you know, willow over here. Afterwards, you say, thank you for the day that we came to celebrate your name, right? So we, we could have called it willow willow Sunday you know, rather than palm Sunday. But it was really symbolic of, of that which was used to proclaim the salvation of God and delivering his people. But this morning, let's look at it, and I only have a certain amount of time because we're going to spend additional time, particularly in this service, thinking about communion. But really what I want to do is, is, is focus on right responses to Palm Sunday and all of Passion Week. And, and the reason it's called Passion is because it shows the passion of Jesus for us. His love poured out in such a way that it wasn't just spoken about, but it was demonstrated not only in his life and his willing to sacrifice his life for us. But as we think about all the events of that, that last week here, there's things God wants us to remember, and that's, that's the key word for the communion table. And I'm going to try to blend some of these things this morning. Is you think, well, how can I take communion the right way? How can I make sure I'm spiritually up to snuff to to, to really get involved in what God wants us to be involved in? Well, the key word is is to remember. Is to remember who it's all about and what was done. And in many ways, that's the focus of any of us who've been in church or around this book for any length of time. We we forget more things than we Remember, now you're helping me out a little bit. All right? we, we forget a lot more things we ought to remember. There's some things that you just can't contain all the time and bring it back to the frontal part of your brain. But there's some things we should never forget. And so Jesus... As he's preparing to come in Jerusalem, and it, and it looks like a triumphal entry to so many, he, he's fully aware that they're not getting it, at least the vast majority of them. And in fact, even his closest companions didn't understand it to the depth of what they would after the cross and after the resurrection and after his appearances to them in all power and glory. And, and so they had to look back, just like we have to look back, and, and to remember this wasn't done by accident. This is all according to God's plan. And in case I don't get to all the points, let me just tell you what they are. What is it God wants us to remember about Palm Sunday or one way to look at? He wants us to remember it was planned. This wasn't something where all of a sudden Jesus fell into it and then they say, well, let's rearrange some of the things so it looks like he's the Messiah. This was planned from the foundations of the world, even before the foundation of the world, that on this particular date, this would happen and it would happen in this way. And in many ways, we can take take comfort in that. that We think about the things that happen in our life. Some of the things are good and some of the things are not good. And to recognize that in the midst of all that happens, that God's hand is still there. And so things that happen in our life according to God's plan. And so this was true about Jesus as he was going to suffer for us. Secondly, we can remember it was prophetic, which means God let us know about it before it happened. And, And so we can have more trust that this is true. And if you've uh, been reading or listening to the the History Channel about the the life of Jesus, sometimes they think it was it was prophetic, and other times they think it was made up. But this this was all laid out in great detail, and so we think about Palm Sunday or or Willow Sunday. It, it was we need to remember it was planned and it was prophetic, and what we often think about it, it was praiseworthy. They, they were filled with praise, and some of it. Let's be honest, it was false praise, but some of it was from the heart and with enough understanding that they recognized maybe not in de- all the, the ramifications of who this Messiah was that they were hoping was the Messiah, but they, they, they got it to at least a certain grade. And then finally, and this is the focus of anything in the scripture, remember it's all about a person. It's all about Jesus. And this is, this is the Jesus answer, you know, what'd you learn at church today? Well, I, I learned about Jesus, and, and that's what's most important. And then the last P this morning is, in the midst of all that, then we really need to remember, we need to be prepared, and we need to focus on this. So let's, let's go through the account, and, and this makes some simple observations. Matthew chapter 21, as we read about this event. Uh, when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, when Jesus went into, the, into, the, into sent two disciples saying... Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, there's all all kinds of uh, rabbit trails we could go on in terms of we read the account of this, but we we, one we read about a town we don't know anything about, Bethphage, which is close to Bethany, which is close to or the the place where Jesus did probably his most magnificent miracle. He he raised Lazarus. And we know from other accounts that, that, that people, they, 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 were, they, were, uh, they were pretty fascinated by Jesus, not only by all the sermons he had preached and whenever he would preach, unlike other people when they preached, I said, man, this, this, I'm amazed at what he says. Because he was, he was God. He was the master teacher. And they were amazed at hearing all the other miracles he had done. In fact, right before this, we, we hear in Matthew chapter 20, which is right before Matthew 21, is that he had just healed two blind men. And never had it been ever known in in all of Israel that people who were born blind could now have sight. And so they had come out to see him in Bethphage, but, but now Jesus was going to enter into this place that many had warned him, don't go there because they will take your life. And no one ever took Jesus' life. He gave it away. But even as we think about Palm Sunday, the details were all planned out. And it says that he, he's, he takes two of the 12 and says, I want you to go into the, the town and I want you to steal a donkey. Does anybody want to volunteer for that? But that's really what he was saying here. Go, go, go seize a donkey. And, and also there's going to be a colt there uh, and untie them and bring them to me. Now, as far as we know, he didn't give me any other instructions. Well, he has another account he does. And, and, and the natural response would be if you were the two picked of the 12. First of all, he said, can you let somebody else go rather than me? But after you were assured by Jesus he wanted you to be the ones to go, you said, well, how, how, how is this going to happen? This will look like I'm stealing. And he simply says, just tell them the master has need of it. Now, we don't know exactly how he aligned this up had he gone in an earlier time and talked to him. Most people don't think that. It's just quite possible that he recognized the ones that you were going to take the, the donkey from, the foal meaning the colt, and when they heard that it was the master who needed it, God would move in their heart to say, let him have it. And sometimes when we look at things, how, how can things work out? Have you ever been there? There's just no way this is going to work out. But God can make it work out. And we can see that in so many different ways. And we can even see on this, on this preparation for Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, that, that it was all laid out but according to God's timing. And as we think about God's timing, in Galatians 4.4, 4, why did Jesus come at this particular time? In Galatians 4.4 4, it says, God appointed this time to send forth His Son, born of a virgin, to come and enter into history, to invade history, as the one who would humble Himself, even to the point of giving His life for all of us. Then even as He began His ministry, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, this is right after John gets taken it says that he began to preach because it was the time for him to present the message of repent and believe in the one who's come for you. So if you think about Palm Sunday, as we think about the branches that were waved and the clothes that were put on the ground for that donkey to walk over, and, and let's, just, let's just be honest, what is that picture? If you were to take off an outer garment and to place it on the ground for the donkey to, to walk over, you will really symbolically say, "Like I am submitting my life to you. And if you, if you want to walk over my agenda and my, my priorities and my purposes, you have ample right to do so. And I am showing this surrender to you even as you come in. So what do we want to remember about Palm Sunday? It's all planned. And all the things that happened in the life of Jesus have been laid out. But you also want to realize that it was prophetic. Look at verses 21, 4 through 7. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And I'll just stop here. As you think about describing the life of Jesus, there was basically two priorities. One is to do the will of his fathers in heaven. And we we see that just even at the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays that prayer. If there's any way to take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And that was throughout the life of Jesus. And the second reason we can see this throughout scripture is that he came to fulfill that which was written in the past. All the prophetic truth so that people would be without excuse, recognizing that he was who he claimed to be. And here's an example of that. This took place to to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, and that's just a code word to say, say to the the people of God, say to the people of Israel, behold, your king is coming to you. Now the next phrase is somewhat of a, a a shock to people because this is not how kings normally came. Gentle and mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a feast of burden. We, we find in one of the other gospel accounts, this colt had never been ridden on, which is not usually the, the, the best way to make sure you get from point A to point B. But he had everything planned and the power to can't play, uh, carry out that plan. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed him. And brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. And this is prophetic because this had long ago, and probably most of your Bibles even make note of that, but this had been prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And, and, and this was a, a marked picture that he's not going to come like a lot would of, of royalty would come into a particular location. He's not going to come in some white stallion or some royal chariot. He's going to come not in, in the demonstration of power and glory, but he's going to come gentle and humble. Because what they had been looking for was, was not someone who was going to solve the problems on, in their life, the things that were wrong in their life before a holy God, but they wanted him to look outwardly. They, they wanted to fix the circumstances around them, not, not really what was happening in their life. And so he came in humble with a message that, that many did not want to hear because isn't it a lot easier to point the finger at somebody than to point the finger back at yourself? And so, so Jesus comes in this way. And it was prophetic in the point that it happened right at the point in time in history. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, we have that statement. From the issue of the decree to restore or rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, that's kind of an elaborate prophecy, but we know exactly when that decree went back given to rebuild Jerusalem. And in a period of time of, let's see how well you are at math. Seven weeks and 62 weeks, add those together. And how many weeks are those? 69, right? 69 weeks. And the weeks there are not days, but they're years. And a few times, seven years times 69 it comes out to be 483 years, and that happens the exact year that Jesus comes in, and some say even to the exact day that he comes in on Palm Sunday in a triumphant way. The Messiah will come. And so as we think about what Palm Sunday is all about, it's, it's all about recognizing that, that we ought to remember it was planned. This is no accident. Remember, it was prophetic and that God had laid it out so that we we could see his footprints, not in the sand, but in the pages of Scripture. This was the one who claimed to be the Son of God, the Son of David, and he was the Son of God. He was the Son of David. And and in fact, what this produced in the people was was praise. And so as we think about Palm Sunday, it's it's all about recognizing it was planned, it was prophetic, and it was praiseworthy. Look at 9 and 10. The crowds going around in ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting. We don't know if that was shouting by singing or just shouting. Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Then on this particular day, because of Passover, the, the population of Jerusalem had swelled. Because you, you could have, if it was all possible, to observe Passover in Jerusalem. And, and so estimates, it was between 2.5 and some say even as high as 3 million people were there. And there was already a group that had come out to see Jesus at death age. And so as he was coming in, they were coming in with him. And, and then as people were recognizing that, that Jesus was arriving on the scene, they, they didn't want to be crowded at at the place where he was going to rise. So they went out to greet him. And so you had people coming with him. You had people coming out to be with him and and going with him. And then you had the people who were still there. And and so there were hundreds of thousands of people that were experiencing this, this parade, this New Year's Eve parade, rose parade as this humble preacher who claimed not only to to be able to speak God's message, but He was the message. And and it began to to shout, Hosanna! And and Lord willing, we're going to sing that to close our service today. And Hosanna is one of those interesting words in the Bible. Sometimes there are words you go, what does that mean? And some of the words, it's interesting, have a real parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now often when you pray... Uh, you conclude your prayer, um, um, not normally, I'm done, God. Okay, you, can, you know, you usually say what? Amen, right? I don't know if you know this, but amen is a Hebrew word. They pronounce it a little bit differently. They, they say amen. And as the New Testament writers, and as God led uh, the, those to record what he wanted us to do and to understand... Uh, they would write the end of their prayers in Greek with the word amen. And as we think about throughout the world when they translate Scripture, and we know particularly in English, we, we didn't really translate it. We, what's called, the Bible says calls transliterated. So the same word that's used in the Old Testament for I'm done with my prayer, okay, amen, amen, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, in the English, is exactly the same. Now, there are a couple of places in the New Testament where amen is translated. It means uh, truly. When Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it's amen, amen, truly, truly. And so when you pray a prayer, when I pray a prayer, and I really mean what I'm praying, and I believe that God is listening and can respond according to his will, when I sign off and say amen or amen or amen, depending on how you want to say it, tomato, tomato, okay, is that you're saying this is true. This is a true expression of my heart, believing that you have heard me and that you will answer it according to your will. Well, the reason I go through that long rendition is because this word hosanna, that's the same type of experience that we have. It's hosanna in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it's hosanna in the Greek language, and now it's hosanna in our language. And what's interesting, this word has taken on a variety of shades of color, you could call it, is that it could be one of two things. In fact, it's used in both ways. One, it could be an expression of what the word actually means. And what it actually means is save now or do save. In the New American Standard, if you go to Psalm 118, which is what they were probably reading or singing in that particular day, at this particular time, in Psalm 118, it says... Do save, the one who's coming in. Blessed is your name. Do save and do save now. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a cry out to God. We are in desperate need. We want to be delivered. We need to be delivered. Do save us. Save us now. It is also a word that has now become simply a, a synonym for praise. So as they, as they saw this one coming in, they, they were simply praising the one the one who was the son of David, same idea that the the uh, the ones who were healed of their in in um, Matthew chapter nine of twenty five of their sight is that they were crying out to the one who was the son of David. They weren't just crying out for a miracle worker; they were crying out to the Messiah, the one who had come. And they were either asking them not only deliver them from their physical sickness, but even more so from the sickness on the inside. And they were proclaiming praise as well. So as we think about what Palm Sunday is about, it's not just to, to remember a, a, an awesome story about someone coming in. People are waving palms or willow branches or, or they're throwing down their garments to, 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 to illustrate, I'm surrendering yourself. But it's much, much more. It's recognizing that, that he has come, not, not just to make this day a little bit better, but make the rest of your eternity better because he alone is the one who can save you. See, what what they were really hoping about, that that somehow this Messiah that, that had shown power, I mean, he had power, that he would slay the Romans, that he would take those who were burning them down with all the taxes and and all the requirements of being under a a power beyond their power that he would save them, he would deliver them now. but Jesus came not to not to slay the Romans, but to save the Romans and to save the Jewish nation. The nation did not remain it, it got judgment in 70 AD, but he came to save Jewish people. And we need to remember that even for America. We have no idea what God's going to do with America. But we do know that. We don't know if he's going to save America, but we do know he wants to save Americans. And we need to be just like those. Remember, this is why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that is deserving of all praise. And then finally, we need to remember it was all about a person. And hopefully, hopefully we haven't, haven't missed that. I've been trying to weave that through everything I've said this morning. Because in verses 10, 11, we, we simply have this. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. You could not miss this. You know, I, I miss things all the time. I Trust me. I, you know I, People... People, well, I won't go through stories. but I, you know, I'm in, you know, My family will say, hey, did you see this? Or did you hear that? Or whatever it might be. And I go, no. You know, right on my head. I, I didn't get it. Okay? But you could not miss Jesus coming in. And they were steered. And they, they asked a basic question. Who is this? Who is causing all this commotion? We're here for Passover. How can anything trump this? It's like you know, trumping Christmas. You don't miss Christmas, do you? But, but something came up at Christmas time, at Passover time, at a time in which they were remembering the greatest deliverance of, of, from God of the people of, that were following Him, deliverance from Egypt. And, and, and now we've lost our, our perspective. We're, we're now thinking about this peasant coming through into Jerusalem from a town that no one knows about, Bethphage. And the crowds were, were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth and Galilee. Now, saying Nazareth wouldn't be very impressive to many of them. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> couldn't, you, couldn't you just skip that? Are there sometimes you're with people and, you, and, and maybe they know you pretty well and maybe they remember some of the things you've done or should have, should have done or some of the things you wish you could forget and no one forgets and they always remember and can you? Can we don't have to bring up that again? You know. And this could be one of the things that Jesus didn't have that kind of ego problem, but but they said this is Jesus from Nazareth. Now they got the right; he was prophet. He was the prophet. He wasn't just a prophet. And really, this speaks of a, a passage, and I've got it wrong in your outline. It's Matthew 16, um, 13 through seventeen, or sixteen and seventeen. Just, I, just, I just make mistakes in my outline just to let you know I'm not perfect. Some of you think I am. But it's uh, Matthew 16, 16 and 17. And really it's the, it's the background, uh, which is a great reminder. And in fact, if you go to Israel with us uh, this, this year, Lord willing, uh, we're going to be right in that spot where that question was, was asked. Oh, who, 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 do men, who do men say that I am? And some may some good answers. I mean, pretty, they had a high view of Jesus. Well, we think he might be John the Baptist come back from the dead, or maybe Elijah or Jeremiah. I mean, these were the heroes of the faith. But they were the wrong answers. And so he, he turned to them, and it happened to be Simon, always willing to give his opinion. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And God the Father had supernaturally revealed that to him, at least at that particular moment. He might not have thought about it before, but he knew it right then. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so as we think about Palm Sunday, it's all about God revealing himself again because everything he does is planned. Everything he does is, is a fulfillment of what he has said before. It's prophetic. Everything he does is worthy of heartfelt praise because what he is doing is way beyond the things that we would hope for, which is help me get a parking spot, Right? I'm I'm here to deliver you from the penalty of your sin and and give you my presence 24-7. I'm willing to take you wherever you are in your journey of life, whether you're beginning it or ending it, if you'll humbly turn to me like the thief on the cross, you have that which will last for eternity. So what's the so what? What? Are we prepared? And it's not by for most of us. I mean, there might be some things you have to if you're having the family over on Easter after after services. But you, you probably aren't having a long list of things to buy gift wise or to put up some extra decorations. But what we really need is prepare our hearts by looking. How, how, how does that how does that come into our lives? When we think. of our lives can be planned by the one who plans everything. We can have confidence in what we believe is really true because it's, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. That's why Jesus came, to fulfill that which had been outlined in the past that so we could know what was happening in the present and the future. That we can live a life filled with praise even if our circumstances don't change. And it didn't, even for the true believers. In fact, and for many of them it got worse in terms of circumstances, but they wouldn't give it up because they had the joy of the Lord in, in their lives. And to remember, in the midst of all the things that can get us off what's most important, it's all about a person. And, and they began to remember this one, that everybody came out to see and then most of them missed it. After the crucifixion, and after the resurrection, and after all the appearances of Jesus, there was a multitude eventually that came to know Jesus as more than some prophet in the past coming back to life. But he truly was God the Son who came to deliver us from everything that separates us from him. So, as we think about preparing, one of the ways God wants us to prepare is, to, is again, to remember. And really, that's what the Lord's table, the supper, is all about. I'm putting your outline this morning a, a couple of passages you could read through, and we'll just turn to one of them. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul puts it plainly what, what is this all about? Is it just another religious ritual? No, it, it's, a, it's an object lesson that will f- compel us to reflect on what has been done and, and how that should impact us now into whatever days we have in the future here before we meet them face to face. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, So he explains the the bread and the cup. But but really what he does here is he says, look, I'm I'm changing everything here. All this happened during Passover week. And if you ever forget, what is Passover all about? It's all about when in the Old Testament, God passed over the sins of the people of Israel because they applied the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And so he made a covenant with them. I, I will not take your firstborn child because you've applied the blood to your life. And, and as we look into to the day in which Jesus came, he said, look, at I, I, I am the Passover lamb. I, I am the lamb of God. I, I am the one that I'm offering to everyone if you apply the blood to your life. Not in a physical way, but trusting in that his sacrifice is sufficient to pay and to cover all the sins that you have committed and will ever commit. Because my, my death will take the penalty that we also justly deserve. The Bible says for the wages of sin. You know, what, 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 do you, what do you get paid for for falling short of God's standard? What do I get? What should I get? We're falling short of God's standard for my life. It's put plainly, for the wages and his death. And so when we hear that, that phrase often used in religious places like this, is that, is that Jesus died for me. What does that mean? He, he took what you deserved. He died in your place. And so when we partake of the bread and, and remember that bread symbolizes his body that was hung on a cross for us. Suffered immensely, not only physically but but he was separated from the Father in ways we cannot know and understand. And took on the penalty we so justly deserve because of our sin. We call back to mind, that's what it means to remember. What brings us, what can bring us into a right relationship with him. And maybe here this morning you don't know the Lord. You, you maybe you've heard the story many, many times that, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Well, what does that mean, that, that Jesus came to pay the penalty for your sins and he cemented the victory when he rose from the grave? And when you put your faith in him, then your sins can be forgiven too, not based on what you can do, but what he has done. And then the blood symbolizing the cup symbolizes that which washes our sins away, whiter than snow. So as we prepare our hearts and to take of communion, and we'll, we'll take it together, a bread, the bread and then the cup, spend time praying about your relationship with the Lord Jesus, that person which Palm Sunday is all about. Do you know who he is? And if you can put your trust in him as God who came for you and God who came and died on the cross for you and rose again.